Hello, everyone. This is Jen Fry, Visioning Council Member for the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries. And I'd like to welcome you to our teleseminar, our special teleseminar today, called Our Collective Quest with COVID with Jen Costa. This call is being recorded and will be available on our website, www.natureevolutionaries.com. We'll also, I'm sure many of you have questions, so we will open up for questions. If you have one, you can press star five, and that will allow me to see your hand, and I'll call on you. Um, so I've known today's guest, Jen Costa, for years. We have been in many classes, ceremonies, and even the Amazon rainforest together. And one of the many things that I really appreciate about Jen is her ability to bridge and weave together the medical, scientific, and the herbal spiritual worlds, as well as her complete dedication to earth and helping people to heal and be who they are meant to be. So I'm very, very grateful that she has agreed to share her wisdom and insight with us today, and I hope that you will um, uh, get much out of this talk and understand why I so appreciate her, her views. So Jen Costa is an herbalist, critical care nurse, and is currently working the front line these days in the OR and ICU. She's also an herbalist, nature activist, and environmental biologist of 30 years, teaching herbal healing skills, apothecary tending through growing and making your own medicine, along with consulting on integrating healing plants into her collective healthcare system. Jen is the creator of Elder Moon School of Herbs and Earth Medicine, and it's through her school she offers microdose plant diets as well as her many other classes. So you can find out more information about her and her programs by visiting her website, eldermoonschool.net. So welcome, Jen. Thanks for joining us today. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Well, I can, yeah. yes. Oh, good. It's so good to be with you, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think first I would like to um, – I know that you've been – you've been supporting people with COVID, both in the hospital yeah. and out. So yeah. I just first want to thank you. I want to thank you for your service. Well, Sorry, I got I a little emotional on that one. That. Um. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's definitely brought me to my edges, I will say. Pushed my edges a bit. Um, it's a little easier now. Not easier, but maybe I'm a little more acclimated now to the intensity than back in March and April. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was really um, intense. And... Uh, I was often going to the trees outside for strength, I will be honest, mm. like putting my back and my heart right up to them as I would drive to work, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it's a little bit, I feel like my feet are a little more on the ground at the moment, mm -hmm. so, but thank you, thank you for acknowledging. Yeah, and for those people of are you, suffering. Um, yeah. oh, go ahead, Jen. I was just saying, our people are struggling. You know, we're suffering as a collective right. sense right, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is that you're located in New York State, so um, and not all that far out of the city. So, um, no. you know, I know New York was really hit hard um, earlier yeah. this year. Yeah. There's a huge yeah. move from the city, too. Our area has right. um, had a huge flood of people from the city and I know that it's under duress that this has happened, but I also like the response that I see sometimes. I, like if I, we, we were to pan out a little bit, when, when our ground gets shook, <laughs> which this has done for us, there's been a massive move of people coming out of highly congested areas and looking to get closer to the earth, get their hands mm -hmm. in the dirt, learn how to garden, learn how to grow food, learn how to grow their medicine, and, you know, just all of those things, which was sort of a, an initial response, which, like I said, it was under duress, but I liked what I saw mm -hmm. when we got shook, you know. Right. I, I, well, it, and I think that's was, part of that innate knowing, too, right? Like, we, even exactly. if we, even, we can deny our connection to nature all we want, but when push <laughs> comes to shove, that innate knowing is going to kick in, and it's just like, ah, i got to get out of Dodge yeah. and need to get to the trees, like you're saying. Exactly, and so seed sales were 400% up, you know, and mm -hmm. Ball Mason Jar Company can't keep up. They're a million dollars behind in orders and had to shut down taking mm -hmm. orders. You know, and I said, okay, that's frustrating to wait, you know, three months for your mason jars so you can can, but at the same time, awesome. 
<laughs> right. People are real. People are preserving food. <laughs> that means they're right. growing it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So it's just a little bit of a perspective shift to see that mm-hmm. people are coming coming around when the ground gets shook. What do we do? Hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And so and then I kept you know I kept saying this quest with COVID. I keep referring it to that because when I go into you know, like meditations with it and just trying to ground myself in my personal life and where am I at with this, tapping in, you know. And I, and I just kept coming back to this collective quest and really we're on a quest, we're moving to we as a collective, you know. And we're struggling with that <laughs> a little bit. At least in America, we're struggling with that, you know, down to the simple, some simple, you know, ones which would be, Let's all wear a mask and wash our hands, you know, and that we're not even getting on the same page with. So, but I still feel the quest is about moving to we as a, as mm-hmm. a collective, and I've been sitting with that a lot as a priority. What does that bring up for each of us when we mm-hmm. come to we? And we've been hit on a lot of fronts this year, you know. Social injustices have come up, and food injustices are on the rise, looking at our food systems and you know, the social injustice, the healthcare injustices that are out there as right. well, which is why, you know, I think a lot about having an apothecary in your home, you know, even if it's just one kitchen cabinet with a handful of plants you're comfortable with. It's a statement, it's a political statement in a lot of ways about healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So it starts with a priority, you know, uh, or an awakening, I guess it would be. And COVID's kind of got a little bit of an awakening to it. It's shaking humanity up in some ways mm-hmm. awakenings aren't comfortable but sometimes awakenings are the initial step of a of a quest you know is there's this awakening and this we come to it in different ways sometimes we come to a quest by awakening through deep spiritual practice that we've already done but sometimes we come to it through crisis through a health crisis or an accident or you know covid or health crisis death you know, unexpected death or relational dramas and traumas and different things like that. There's this, some kind of a priority, prioritizing of waking up. So it resonates there for me as a quest and that there's this shake-up, that there's some deeper work that needs to happen collectively. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes there's just like a, a, sometimes there's just random chaos that wakes us up. You know, this is <laughs> right. COVID, you know, we could say it's random chaos. We could say this was a manufactured, orchestrated thing. And in the end, it doesn't even really matter which one it was because when I sit with a patient with COVID, the care is the same. It doesn't matter where COVID came from. Mm-hmm. We still have work to do in taking care of somebody who's sick, you know, and it's the same right. care regardless of the origin of what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, I like that reframe of moving to we. I think that's really great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it makes and sense. It makes it makes sense of also why there is such a struggle um, with the basics, like you were saying, with the mask, but also what we are seeing. I mean, even or like at the beginnings when in, I think of Italy, I was just looking at the pictures and reviews today, um, yeah, and yeah. in Italy, you know, people playing concerts in the um, street or oh, just yeah, was, people, yeah, so people beautiful. in our own country, like, like checking was, on your neighbors and yeah, right, right. And, you know, support, you know, and so like moving away from that competitive um, sort of name, blame, shame kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And coming to the we. Yeah. Yeah, we're in this we. So uh, to me, the quest is already in process and it's just COVID's made it more conscious. I feel like we've already been on a quest for that already. And COVID just brought it to the forefront and made us be way more conscious with it. Um, mm-hmm. And so what's in your face, you know, like it's a, a rhetorical question for each of us, you know, what's in your face after 9, 10, 11 months of this? Mm-hmm. What's, you know, what are you complaining about? Like what's really got you, you know, asking yourself questions about your life and what what has you reflecting on with the direction of your life and where it's going? You know, where are you putting your attention? And the sequestered, you know, being sequestered is part of a quest too, you know, that, that kind of lockdown and getting into a tighter circle and, 
you know, it's very quest-like to me to be, you know, Jay and Cyrus and I have been in this house since March. (laughs) We're different. (laughs) And we're actually loving it now. Like when things open up, we're like, I don't know if I'm going to open up the way it was before. You know, I'm kind of liking this now. So we've changed a lot. And, and, um, you know, he's going to be 17, Cyrus, and he's, he's made big changes in the way he sees things and the way he moves out in the world, too. It's been interesting to watch us evolve with it as we honor being sequestered and learning to um, just be in relationship with each other in a, in a more intense way just because it's, it's all the time now. You know, it's all the time. Right. right. So, yeah. So yeah, I'd add to the list of questions, what is your heart yearning for? That's, that's yeah. what I keep asking myself um, in different ways, but I keep yeah. asking myself, what am I really missing? You know, like I love yeah. to travel. And yet most of right. this year, I'm like, you know what? I'm okay. I'm happy. I mean, yeah. granted, I get to live in a place that I have you know, land around me. So I have some sanctuary that I can go outside. So yeah. I'm very fortunate in that. But I'm okay. There are other days yeah. that I'm like, oh, my God, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> but they're very right. few for me. <laughs> and so we get yeah. to that edge, though, because I feel the same way, like, you know, wanting to travel or, you know, I only live on one acre, and that's a lot to some people and not enough right. to me sometimes. And all our trails are shut down because so many people have come up from the city, and there's been this mm. not knowing how to be on trails. So trails are getting trashed, and so they've crime tape. You know, you go to your trail that I've walked for 30 years, and there's crime scene tape across it. You're not allowed to hike mm. anymore. And that has oh. been very hard right. for me. So I'm thinking about leaving New York, you know. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about, well, what does that mean for me? You know, like I need to be able to go to nature and to these places that I've known. I've been here my whole life, actually, and I can't get to the waterfall that I used to go to and to the other stream over there and these places that I go to at different times of year or whatever. I can't get to them now anymore, and I don't know how long that will be. But that's really pushed my edge. That's made me frustrated, and, well, this is you know, not okay, and I'm, you know, and then I have to sit with it and just, like, okay, well, what is it that I'm looking for? Mm-hmm. You know, it's changed. It's changed my, my landscape and the way I move in my life. All of us. Right, right. Yeah, all of us. Yeah. So then we think, well, what's, what, what do I see for myself in a year? It's hard to see 2021, too. You know, it's still kind of murky and unsure. There's a lot of uncertainty about if we're just peaking, we're not even peaking fully in our second wave, and there's a third wave coming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's how these that's how these play out. So, you know, I was met with some resistance back in March and April. My first knee-jerk reaction when this started to really ramp up, my first thing I thought was, as a collective, we need to sit with China and Africa and learn from them because mm-hmm. China has over 330 pandemics recorded. Africa has wow. the most deadly organisms. This is a mid-range virus. This isn't even a, a highly deadly virus. And look what it's doing, you know. So we could learn from them. And I was met with a lot of resistance in saying that. But, you know, I was thinking, well, this is about we. You know, if we're, we're going to – if the microorganism world shapes our world, which it does, and we know this through science, then change is here. So there's a couple of countries that are ahead of us. Right. (laughs) We might do well to sit and listen. So I was combing the documentaries, looking at Ebola and the way it moved among us and what what they had to go through to learn what they know today, you know, and um, just to understand, like, humans with this kind of situation – how are we going to move with it, you know? And we're, we're sort of, we're sort of um, a little slow to the draw in this country, coming to a wee place with it, um, you know, but we're, we're getting there. We're getting there, <laughs> little by little. Right. So I, I encourage people to read. Uh, there's this book that I read 20 years ago, and it was written by um, a Philip T. T- Tierno, T, I think I'm butchering his name, T-I-E-R-N-O. And it's called The Secret Life of Germs. And it's been revised many times, but it, I read it a long time ago just because I love microbiology and 
the life of germs. I love the microscopic life of the way they tick and move and change our life. And they're billions of years ahead of us. And it's a very good read for, um, it's not too science oriented, but he talks about in there about, um, he really changed the way I look at all of it. And he, he talks about the wisdom of the, of the evolution of the way they move. So if we were to say that COVID did a species jump, which is the story that we've heard sometimes, and it jumped from bats to humans. So let's just say that that's true. When the microbes make a species jump like that, they're very intense and they're um, very deadly. So they're more virulent and, you know, in the way that they express themselves. You could say that about AIDS too when it first um, came, came out in the 80s and they, there were stories about it um, making a species jump to humans through laboratories using kidney, um, kidney medium from monkeys which are so close to us from chimpanzees. Mm -hmm. So it made a species leap that way. The microbe learned to make a species leap that way. And so when they're very, very deadly, um, it's not a great evolutionary tactic to burn your house down or kill your host. You know, when you think about it, you're not going to last very long on the evolutionary scale if you keep killing everybody. Okay? So they have to learn too. And they, in order to learn, they have to evolve. And in order to evolve, they have to be, you know, put in risky situations like killing your host and trying to find more is considered very risky. It's competitive. It's um, like a, a competition kind of competitive tactic for evolution. And that works for a little while, but you have to learn. You have to get wiser in order to stay in the game. And so an example of a very wise virus would be something like herpes. It's super old. It moves among us. It doesn't always kill us. Rarely kills us. You know, it's been around forever. It cohabitates, and so ultimately they learn to cohabitate with us, and that's the evolutionary brilliance that they have. Um, they know that humans get complacent. They know that we forget and we get bored and we get lazy sometimes, which is how we go through one, two, and three waves of a pandemic because we get in those places that are just you know sort of what humans do, and they can be opportunistic with our nature. You know, that's an evolutionary tactic, is to be opportunistic that way. But ultimately, they have to get wise and they have to learn as well in order to survive. And they're better at it than we are. As I said, they're billions of years old. And so I believe that COVID is learning and it, that it's becoming, um, it's still intense, but it's maybe softened a bit. And I think that it's learning, um, but we're also, you know, we're still in the beginning waves, the first, you know, first, second, third waves of it. And then we'll see it change. And so you could say something like um, the medications that have come along for HIV and AIDS are better, and maybe that's true, but maybe it's also true that the virus learned, mm -hmm. you know, too. Right. So which I think is true because we live in a living system, you know. So I lean a lot on the, the work of um, an evolutionary biologist. Um, her name is Elizabeth Satoris. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she, she wrote a book called Earth Dance. And that was kind of life-changing too because she's a heavy science person who walked away from the sciences and then came back to them when she realized that the sciences of Earth and evolution were about living systems and not about systems that are, um, you know, we're taught by Western science that the systems are not alive, but that life jumps out of what's not alive, like a bunch of elements swirling around from, you know, a big bang theory and it, everything's not alive and then all of a sudden life crawls out of the ocean. And so, there's another thinking <laughs> that's different than that that says that life, that it's all alive before that. You know, like it's not, it's not life jumping out of non-life. It's life giving life to life. It's a constantly right. living system, which is an easy one for us herbalists and, you know, right. plant people. We already believe that. We already know that in our bones. We know that, you know. 
And so she came back to it, and she gave this really good story. And maybe this illustrates where we are a little bit as humanity. This helps me understand. I've said this before. Maybe some of the listeners have heard me tell the story. I told it once before in one of my herbal councils. But so she she tells the story about when there were three different kinds of bacteria that inhabited the earth first, and they were the fermenters. They were the photosynthesizers, and they were the anaerobes, or the anaerobics without oxygen. So you had like, you know, ones that made um, bubbles and fermented, and then you had the ones that made energy from the sun, and you had ones that could make energy where there was no oxygen. And so each one of them had its time of taking over the entire planet, using up all the resources, competing with each other, then killing each other, and then losing their resources and dying off. And then after the fermenters went through that, the photosynthesizers went through that. And the same thing. They did the same thing and exhausted their resources, competed with everybody, and then died off. And then the same thing happened with um, the anaerobic. Uh, and they did the same thing. They covered the earth. They used up all the resources that worked for them, competed with each other, and then had to die off. And then eventually the three of them learned that if they worked together, even though they were in competition at times, if they worked together, depending on what nature provided, they could work with each other and meet everybody's needs. So they moved to a cooperation model. So we're not at the cooperation model yet. Right. <laughs> yet. Right. There are a few billion years ahead of us. Okay. But we are in our learning curve of using up our resources and competing with one another. <laughs> and you right. see, humanity, we're still competing for resources. We're still fighting over land. We're fighting over oil. We shouldn't even be using oil. Water. Uh, we're still water. Exactly. Water. We're taking all the water from the indigenous people in South America. Really? You know, come on. And we're still competing for resources, and we're not that evolved. We think we're so evolved, but we're really not that evolved when in the face of the microbial world, we have a lot more to learn, and we could learn from them, too. And it was interesting when um, Elizabeth was talking about these microbes, she gave a little short story about how nanotechnology is still trying to understand the pistons that the microbes designed in order to be mobile. Mm -hmm. It's still too advanced for us to understand. But we are using some of what bacteria have developed in order to survive and evolve. They're using that in our nanotechnology. We still can't understand fully. It's still too complex for humans to understand. So it brings me um, some a little bit of comfort to know that this, this territory has already been traveled. <laughs> right. Um, and, and yet at the same time, it also puts you, you know, you can see where we are on the map a little bit in the spiraling of coming out of the competitive way and moving into a more climax species that knows how to cooperate with things that aren't even our species. Like we're still not even right. cooperating with ourselves, let alone interspecies cooperation. We're still working right. on that too, <laughs> you know. So we're rather young <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. So then that's a huge, you know, macroscopic view. But I feel if we bring it back to the quest with COVID, I feel like COVID is kind of stopping everybody in their tracks and changing things up a little bit and making us come back to those core questions of how do we move to we, you know? How do we move to cooperate? What kind of fuel am I warming my house with? And what's the sustainability of that? You know, some of those questions, like where does my food come from? There's still people that don't think about that. Right. There's still people, I work with people that don't know what GMOs are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's something that we've put in the world from this country, you know. Mm -hmm. um, nature wouldn't allow GMOs to happen, and the scientists kept persisting until they used pressure and special binding agents to make it happen. Every time they pushed genes into places where they wouldn't stay, they wouldn't be replicated, and they wouldn't be replicated. And then we came up with other ways to force it. <laughs> so nature's even kind enough to not allow you for a while, but then it'll say, oh, okay, we'll learn this way, you know. So, so we, we learn. We're, we're, we're learning slowly. So yeah. that's, and, you know, just like... Uh, 
the, as you were saying, the germs evolve. They also help us evolve, mm. which is what, as you're saying, we're seeing right now. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering, like, so what about day-to-day right now? Like, um, what, are you, what are you doing to help yourself during this process, or what are you uh, suggesting for other people? I mean, I think having that apothecary in your home is, yeah. yes, revolutionary, and it's also a blessing. Um, yeah. When when everything happened in the spring, I was like, thank goodness I have these herbs here that <laughs> I can go back I to. I know. Um, and, I felt and just so having them lucky. in my yeah. diet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so making that making that commitment, if you know, if you've been a little, you know, I don't know that in in this circle that people are, um, maybe everybody works with plants that way, you know, but there are circles where they they don't. I mean, traveling, yeah, I mean, traveling into the hospital, I work with people that aren't thinking about food and aren't thinking about medicine. So it's not a, not a criticism at all. It's just that it's an invitation to, to like expand out a little bit and think about how the kind of food you eat and the kind of medicine that you bring into your primary health care be it plants first, turning to the plants first and, you know, noticing the signs with your body sooner and, and addressing that, going in deeper, making it a spiritual practice too, not just a physical practice, you know, um, asking those deeper questions of why is my body not well right now, you know, mm-hmm. speaking to the body, I'm always doing that, having people go in, well, let's talk to this, you know, and it's a little foreign to someone who primary health care is, you know, modern medicine in the United States. But it's not so foreign when you think about it. If you were to ask your pain to have a voice and what would it say, oftentimes people zoom right to it, you know, and then they try to talk it away in their head because they get embarrassed. Sometimes they know exactly what it's about, you know. So getting to the heart of it, like you say, right into it. For me, supporting myself, I'm actually deepening my work with the plants. So there's plants that I've you know, not grown before, that I'm, ones that are harder to grow. I'm challenging myself to maybe attract that, ones that are endangered, giving them sanctuary, you know. So I've gotten pretty good at growing white sage. I've learned how to move rosemary around because I used to kill rosemary all the time here in and out of the house. We have a private conversation later because I'm I'm the rosemary killer. (laughs) Right, and I killed many. Do you know I have this one here? And she put out a flower today. I started crying this morning. Oh, that's right. I saw that post. (laughs) (laughs) I was so happy after all these years of killing her. But she's asking me to learn something about how I move with her. And it's been a while, but I'm learning, you know. (laughs) I'm actually learning and I'm very happy. So those are some of the ways I challenge myself. I put up 10 feet of LED full-spectrum lights in my house this year and have this, which I never had before, and making a growth space where I am, you know, bringing some of the harder-to-do things that I haven't challenged myself with. That's how I'm, that's how I'm using my sequester time, you know, my retreat time, my um, solitary time, instead of seeing it as I'm not allowed to go out and be with people, you know. Right. Um, so that's one thing that I'm doing. I'm also, you know, for me, I know I want to work with, I used to work with clay and I actually want to get back to clay work. So I've been scouting out classes in that. So I used to work with clay when I was in my twenties. There's something about creating things with my hands, which I think is very important for us as humans. That's why we have hands, you know, that creation thing that we do with our hands. So I'm, moving through that and moving closer to some of the more creative outputs that um, I've been shelving because I'm busy making money so I can have a roof over my head and I have to do that, you know, and all that list of to-dos, you know, that that has to happen. But I'm realizing, too, that um, there is certain systems that have to break down um, in order for other systems, and it's not comfortable. It's not easy work. I mean, we've all, you know, been through healing process. It's not comfortable. (laughs) <laughs> sometimes right. this isn't going to be comfortable as systems break down and that's right. what's happening they're breaking down mm-hmm. and so we how are we going to move to we and how are we going to keep our creative energy moving because the other thing that I notice is that nature repeats what works and keeps repeating and doesn't really fix or like put a lot of energy it repeats patterns all the time and repeats things that work really well, but when crisis comes and something has to be fixed, 
the creative output of nature to fix something that needs its creative force is like a thousandfold. We come up with all kinds of ideas when we're facing where we can't go forward, we have to go left or right. You know what I mean? And the inspiration doesn't come until we absolutely can take not one step further in that direction. And then all of a sudden, we have all this other inspiration that comes through, through nature. So nature has this incredible force to inspire and to solve problems and solutions. And so if you watch some of the younger generations, like I'm watching some of the ideas coming through the teenagers right now to solve some of our system problems, they need to be listened to. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, there's new ideas coming in, and they're beautiful, and yeah, so we'll see system so break down, but that doesn't, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Jen. I was just saying, as the systems break down, we need to, you know, sit and watch it with lots of, lots of courage and know that solutions come, too, you know, like, yeah, that's the thing, inspiration and the solutions come. So, moving so I, again, just want to give everybody an opportunity. If you want to ask a question, please press star 5. Um, you know, we can continue, but I don't want to ignore any questions. Um, yeah. And there's a couple of things that you said, Jen, that I'd like to hit on here, too, is that um, the, the noticing signs of your body sooner, I think that's really mm. important. I've, I, I mean, I'm not in the hospital, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I've been seeing is that people who wait until – they can barely breathe, and that's when they're doing something about it, whether it's go to a hospital or go to a doctor or anything, then it's right. it's almost like it's too late or, I mean, they might still survive, but it's going to be a rocky road, whereas people who can right. notice it earlier and start, um, I mean, I would say taking herbs or whatever, just doing, eating better, getting rest, um, drinking a lot, moving, yeah. um, you know, then they have a faster um, opportunity of, or a better opportunity of recovering. Yes, and if we want to just, absolutely, and if we want to zero it since we're talking about COVID, um, we can just go right to that because I have people calling me just this week, coming to get things this week, and my encourage, like some people are thinking the same thing, like they're not really paying too close attention to the early signs, but if COVID's going to get bad for you, it gets bad in the second week. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Around day nine to day fifteen is where people fall off the cliff, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if you if you are really tending to yourself that beginning week and not ignoring the signs that you're, you know, I think people do fare better. There's an ability to keep them out of the hospital. But you know, I have a few things. I mean, if you want me to share a few things, sure, right? go for it. Two older sons, yeah, my two older sons had COVID and. Um, July into August, they're in their late 20s and decided to go to the beach because that would be safe, <laughs> which I immediately oh, said, no, it isn't. <laughs> I said, think about it. You're going into salt water. What's in your body? Salt water. You're 73% salt water. COVID knows how to move through salt water. No, mom, it's going to be fine. Okay. <laughs> And sure enough, um, after coming back from a week at the beach, they informed us they were coming here two days later to visit, which actually Jay actually said, you know what, I don't have a good feeling about this. I think you guys should wait a week and let's just see what happens. And sure enough, that was a Sunday, and sure enough on Tuesday they came down with COVID. Mm. So we would have been exposed. They would have been spewing it all over here too. And so um, they both had very different pictures. My oldest son had more cardiovascular issues and with some microclot throwing and things like that um, and fever and GI. And then my younger one, the middle one, had more of the respiratory pneumonia and breathing issues. And as a mom, to not be able to run to the bedside and take care of them was tricky. You know, one lives right. about an hour from me. But I was able to deliver food, and um, so I was able to keep that, deliver food to, to them and check in on them. And it was, you know, FaceTime regularly, so I could see the way they were breathing. So one thing I encourage people to do is, is watch the way someone, if your loved one has COVID, watch the way they're talking. 
If they have to take a breath after every two or three words, they're not breathing well. And sometimes I have to, you know, like it's a weak breath and it's a frequent breath because they're breathing way up in their upper airways. So you watch the cadence of their voice. You can look at their chest. Is there quivering around the ribs? There's this interesting quiver that happens with COVID when their breathing is affected. And you'll see it in the rib cage and the chest, the way it moves. And then hydration is the most important thing. And I can't even stress it enough. Like I have people check their urine for the color of their urine to see if they're hydrated. And it sounds kind of crass or whatever, but it's not. It's like this is regular medical stuff. If your urine is dark yellow, you're behind in your fluids. If your urine is pale yellow to clear, you're doing great. It's simple. It's very simple. Like you have to look at the color of your urine and you'll know if you're behind. Because if you're behind, you're gonna, your lungs are going to have, tr wherever COVID's hitting you, it's going to exacerbate the problem. Okay? And it comes from the pH issues. It comes from the, um, the thickness of the mucus that you have. You thin it out the more you're hydrated. Like you have to hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. And it's a ridiculous amount of hydration. Like it's way more than you think. You know, quarts and quarts. So my son, my one son in Albany, he had... Um, he called me up. He looked bad. He was pale. He wasn't breathing right. Couldn't talk in complete sentences. And he's like, I think I got to go to the hospital. And I, you know, I'm now scared, you know, for my son. And I said to him, look, I want it to take a couple of hours, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to drink an entire quart of warm water. You can put your herbs in it because he had herbs. And I said, and I want you to percuss on your chest because that's another one is to percuss all around wherever you can reach, down to the bottom of your ribs, all across the front of you, everywhere that you can reach for five full minutes. And then I want you to lay on your stomach for 20 minutes. Put your clock on your phone and pay attention. And then once you get up from that, I want you to percuss your chest again and drink another quart of water and do it again. Percuss, drink a quart of water, lay on and percuss again, lay on your stomach for 20 minutes and get up. And then I want you to call me back. So that was, you know, it was like an hour of doing that, like three cycles of that. He called me up an hour later, and he was coughing up massive amounts of brown mucus out of his lungs. There's something about laying on your stomach, which you know from the news, because that's what we do in the ICU. We're putting them prone. The, the microvascular bleeds in the lungs lay retrograde, like the back of the lungs, and that's where they're literally drowning in their pneumonia. And so when we percuss and put them on their stomach, it frees that to be mobilized so you can get it out of the lungs. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that I have actually offered to many people since, and it keep, seems to be keeping people who are really... <laughs> Courting going to the hospital, it seems to be really working beautifully. And then we're working with, you know, we're working with different lung herbs, but oftentimes working with um, barberry has been great. Mm. Been working a lot with barberry. Mm. So, so those are some, you know, like really trying to um, keep people home things that I've been saying to people. If you're have, waking up and your fingers are numb, your arms are numb, your toes feel numb, you could be throwing clots. Mm. And so if you have, you know, cardiac issues, you want to call a cardiologist, you want to get on herbs that have aspirin in them, or ginger is a phenomenal. And ginger is just good for viral infections. Ginger is a great blood thinner. Just ginger tea, I know, things like that. So those are just a few things that I find myself saying frequently to people who have it. <laughs> who are positive, <laughs> and giving them um, a few tips, even if they don't have any plants in their house. They know ginger. They know garlic. Two cloves of garlic a day are great for your lungs, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's sometimes not that complicated, you know. Right. Uh, sometimes the medicine is really simple for something that's very complicated. That's right. Yes, yeah. And persistence, yeah. you know. Right. And again, starting early. Um, yeah, starting. it is like sometimes the uh, the best medicine is the most gentle and simple. It's just bringing yeah. our bodies back to well-being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other things Any I questions? think you said. Um, one of the other things you said that I think is really 
what's really interesting to me is that you're creating with your hands now, that that's, you know, whether it's, you said clay, but, you know, we can create yeah. in many ways with our hands. And, um, and I know from anthroposophical medicine, um, the hands are connected in with the lungs as well. And so that's one of the things yeah. we would do. Uh, we, yeah. When my son had surgery when he was little, we um, had to give him something to play with his hands to help get the anesthesia out. Um, but, yeah. yeah, it's like so there is just a simple way that we can be nourishing our lungs as well as by creating with our hands and creating, you know, bringing that creative energy right. forward. Yeah, and and the lungs surround the heart. I mean, it's all like I said, it's all interconnected there. So right, working with our lungs, working with our hands. Yeah, so so those are some of the things that I'm doing. I do offer people who have COVID. I still do free consults for them, so they just have to email me through my website. If you have COVID, I'm willing to sit with you and figure out how to keep you home and get you well. I don't charge that's for really that. wonderful, Jen. So, yeah, that's sort of my give back. If you, I like, let's, let's, you know, call me. We'll set up a time. Wednesdays and Saturdays are my two days that I'll I reserve for um, people with COVID. And you know, even if you have a loved one in the hospital with COVID, how to navigate that when, you know, when they come home or anything like that. Anything like that. Anything related to COVID, I'm willing to do free consults. So, sort of a public service. Yeah, well, when my mom, you know this, but my mom, we thought she had COVID. Thank goodness she didn't, but you were one of the first people that I contacted, so I was really grateful to have that because even if yeah. you know, even if you know plants and you know, um, you know how to, you help people, when it's, when it hits yeah. you, like, it's like, I mean, I learned this a long time ago. I had a cold like 20 years ago and I was just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> So, so some of my close friends, that's just something we had set up. Like, if I get sick, I need to call you, and you're going to have to tell me what to do because I'm not going to – echinacea, what? What's that? So um, Yeah, so, exactly, because yeah, we get, like, great. the deer in the headlights, and you just become the patient, you know, like right. you're supposed to. When I bring right. my kids into the ER, I'm not a nurse anymore. I almost had chest bumped a doctor because he was going to do something to my baby that was going to hurt my baby, and I had this primal thing come over me. It was so shocking to me. He was going, walking towards my three-year-old, and I zoomed over the bed and almost chest-bumped this doctor. And my husband pulled me back, and my other son's like, Mom, you're a nurse. And I'm like, I'm a mother. <laughs> and then I went, oh, right. <laughs> and the doctor was great. He understood. You know, they're trained for that. Women are dangerous around their babies. They know that. They're trained for that. So, but it was just something that came over me, and I was like, oh, and that was my lesson, you know. It's like, okay, sometimes you're just the patient, or you're the patient's mother, you know. You're not right. the nurse anymore. You're not the herbalist, right. you know. It's like, yeah, and we have to honor that and remember to, you know, ask for help, you know. <laughs> yeah. a good one. All right. Well, if anyone has questions, you know, I'm haven't Here's figured much out, but I'm figuring a few things. So, again, it's star five, and that'll raise your hand. Oh, we got Pam on here. Get you, Pam. Hi, Pam. Hi there. Can you hear me? Ken. Yeah. Hey, Jen. Hi, um, uh, two Jens. Jen squared. Um, <laughs> uh, it's so nice to This is Pam, uh, Jen. Um, yeah. Montgomery. <laughs> um, thank you so much. I just can't thank you enough. And I just want to say how I'm going to cry, but I just want to say how <laughs> impressed I am by the fact that you're willing to talk with people for free that have COVID. I mean, it's like, thank you so much because you're knowledgeable, you know what's going on, you know how to help people. And I, so anyway, that's number one. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I know being on the front lines is probably hell. And I can hardly imagine, <laughs> but you're doing it. And thank you. And you've got such a, a broader, you know, your, your, um, just your outlook is so broad. And I think that's really, 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 really helpful. I have a ton of questions, but I'll try to keep it down here to a low roar. Um, what, what do you, think about I'm some of the research I'm doing is showing up that Tulsi 
is, you know, very effective against SARS viruses. And I don't know what you have to say about that, but um, anyway, I, I'm like massively into, in, I mean, I love Tulsi all the time anyway, but I am like mega dosing it right now. And so I just wonder, number one, do you have, that's one question is like whether, what you think about that and um, working with it even preventatively. And then the other thing is, I know this is extremely controversial, but what do you think of vaccines? Those are my I questions. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> let's do it. You know, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so first, let's talk about Tulsi because she's way more interesting than vaccines. Um, I love Tulsi, and I think I, we drink Tulsi every day here too, and I grow a lot, and I think that it's um, absolutely a fantastic preventative. And um, I haven't done any research on it. I just trust Tulsi to um, support my immune system in responding quickly and being very adaptive and responsive to what comes. I can tell you, so I can tell you what I do, which sounds like a lot, but this is, this is what I was inspired to do when I was facing going into the ICU. So they had shut down surgeries, so that meant all of our whole department was only emergencies. We had all these people, you know, and instead of laying us off, which was okay, um, they floated us. And because I was in the ICU before, I naturally got floated to the ICU. So I went right to the sickest people, <laughs> and, um, and it was pretty scary. But Tulsi was part of that. Like, I came home, I had Tulsi all the time. I had Tulsi in my bottle that went to work, you know, a whole regime of the kind of food and things that I bring to work to drink, you know. And then I had, um, I, I do recommend a throat spray, too. Like, I created a throat spray for me and another um, PACU nurse. We were two that were floated to the ICU, and we were really afraid. Actually, I was very afraid. I remember the moment the two of us were together when we walked into the very first patient's room, um, and it took us, you know, 15 minutes to gown up, you know, and, like, it was really, um, really an edge for me. Like, it was really something else. So, and I remember coming home that day, and how was I not going to bring this home to my family, you know? And so throat sprays, like tinctures mixed with honey, straight, straight up, don't dilute them, strong tinctures mixed with honey. And so I work with, say, echinacea. I have one that's mixed. It's like echinacea and white pine. Um, it could be any one of those. Um, and I, spraying the back of your throat every night before you go to bed is a phenomenal thing to do. And scrape your tongue and do a neti pot. Like all the holes in our body need to be cleansed. If, you, if you've been out in public, you don't have to be that neurotic about it, going to the grocery store. But for me, I was taking care of COVID patients. So I was pretty neurotic about it. Like I was doing all of that before I came in with my family. Um, but Tulsi, yeah, I've been regularly drinking Tulsi. And I recommend Tulsi. I recommend a lot of the adaptogens. I like um, ashwagandha too. And I do take that. I actually have a Tulsi and ashwagandha mix that I have together. So, yeah, totally agree with that. Awesome, great. I can, uh, I'll send you some links to some of the studies uh, that are being done. A lot of them are, you know, are happening like in India and places like that, but, um, but they're total clinical trials and all that. So I'll send you some links great. so you can see what the research is. That would be fantastic, yeah. And I and I think Usnia has a really strong place here too, you know, for mm -hmm. like something like a throat spray. Because if you're going to be around an airborne organism like that, it's going to hang out in the biofilm on your tongue and in your sinuses for a little bit, a day or two. And that's why we do those practices. That's why Ayurvedic does those practices. That's why they tongue scrape, put the oil in their nose, they sinus wash and all of that one of the oldest medicine systems in the world. They know that some of these viruses, while they're infectious, they have to make their way in, you know, and so you've got some time to get them back out, you know, or neutralize them in some way. So, yeah. Yeah, I would definitely love to read those. And then, let's see, the vaccine front. What a massive, huge topic. I will say that as a medical professional, you know how I have to respond, and I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, I will not be getting the vaccine. 
I'm currently informed that that will not cost me my job. That's how it stands in this moment. Um, I don't know what's going to happen down the road and what kind of decisions will need to be made personally for me around that. If it changes, we'll see. Um, because I take it really serious from the skin in, I have something to say, you know. So, um, and a lot of nurses do. Not all nurses are 100% for what's happening with the vaccine. I'm a little um, concerned that six or eight weeks ago we aborted vaccine trials, and now all of a sudden we're rolling out vaccines. And they did take our tissue freezer from the OR. Um, to house them because they have to be kept at negative 70 or 80 degrees Celsius. So that it's, it's happening quick. And that's, I'm just a little concerned as a, you know, a human here watching science move way faster than they ever have before on a vaccine front. It is a coronavirus. The body doesn't hold immunity very long. You know, we know this with colds, like three three months at the most is generally how it it holds immunity. So let's just say it was a, the best, it was 100% best vaccine ever. It's still not gonna, our immune systems aren't necessarily gonna hold the immunity. The people who've had it aren't holding the immunity, you know, they're showing that. Some of them aren't making them at all. It depends on the body it goes into, you know. Some people's bodies make immunity and some people's don't. So we don't, there's still a lot of mystery around the immune system. We don't really fully understand it. And we're playing with something we don't understand. So there's a lot of risk. And um, I'm just not sure how to guide people with that one. I know for me personally, I will not be in the, in the front lines with that one, personally. Well, thank you so much for your opinion. Because, you know, I've gone round and round and round about this vaccine thing. And trying to learn as much as I can about it. And I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of like, wow. Like I saw a statistic the other day where the, the, the flu vaccine, the, the regular just, oh, go get your flu shot. That one took 70, 70 years yeah. before it right. was, you know, you know, fully researched and all that. And it's 40% effective. And I went, huh. Okay, and yeah. suddenly after how long we've got a 95% effective, really? And so, you know, I mean, I try not to get too political about and it, I but follow the money, yeah. I say, follow the money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, there's that too, you know, there's that too. I mean, I think in training the immune system, is, I think that it's possible, you know, it began there, you know, with smallpox and whatever, like it began mm -hmm that way, giving it a little bit of the poison and then it makes, it makes the immunity, you know, like we can do that with poison ivy, you know, <laughs> right? But um, a little bit of the poison can help us. But I, what I think happens is, as you say, follow the money, you see that it has to be kept at minus 70 degrees Celsius, which is incredibly expensive to do. And there's a, um, a huge cost factor in trying to keep it fresh. And so then that, that rings back to the preservatives that they've put into vaccines over the years that we feel have been harmful to, to humans as well. And they've done that because it's not cost effective to keep a vaccine at minus 70 degrees Celsius. It's very expensive energy-wise to do something like that. So rolling out something massive like this is very expensive. And then I think, well, if we all just washed our hands and we wore masks when we were out and we just stayed on lockdown for three months, wouldn't that be the same thing as getting a vaccine that worked and then wore off in three months? Wouldn't it be cheaper to wear masks and wash your hands? Mm. <laughs> Just my thinking. <laughs> well, you just a little bit have a little bit too much common sense. That's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> and sequester and, you know, treat it as a, as a quest. Or like, a, you know, like we're, we're, we're going in, you're being with yourself, you've got this time and, it might be scary and it might not be very comfortable either, but can you, can you figure out a way to navigate with a little less comfort, you know? And um, so, yeah, it's a personal, definitely really a personal choice here. It's um, a follow, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a sticky, sticky can of worms there. <laughs> well, thank you for your perspective. I, I really appreciate it and, and honor it. And I know that you, as a, as a, <laughs> as a healthcare yeah. practitioner in the, in the, in the uh, system, 
it's yeah. you have to be careful what you um, say. And I honor that. So. I am. And, and we could end up being scarlet lettered. I mean, we could end up, you know, it could go that way. Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to go that way, you know, I, but you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll figure it out. You know, yeah. I have other work. <laughs> yeah. I love my work. I love what I do. But, you know, I love my work. So, you know, I'm on this, this road here, but there are sometimes there's some, sometimes there's, sometimes we draw lines in the sand and I definitely, you know, draw my line in the sand with certain kinds of ways I will, will be a nurse, you know, or be in the nursing profession. So, you know, there's certain kinds of nursing I know I cannot do or I will not do, put it that way. And there's certain kinds of things like this. There are certain, certain things around vaccines. I don't have a problem with entraining the immune system. I think it's phenomenal. I think we have solid, good science, and I don't think we execute the science well. That's what ex- upsets me. We have good science, you know, but I don't think we execute it well. Mm. So, yeah. Thank you, Jen. Appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Pam. Um, so we are close to finishing up here. If there's anybody else who has a question, go ahead. It's star five, and thank you, Jen and Pam. Way to bring up a controversial <laughs> subject, but but I think I it's, it was I think, <laughs> of course, and I think it is a good. Um, I appreciate you sharing your honest thoughts on it, Jen. And you know, um, there's so much to there's so much to learn, so much we don't know, and I think that's also. The stage that we're at right now with the virus, we still are learning. Um, I think that's a difficult thing for people is that, uh, you know, we think evolution stopped when Darwin mm-hmm. announced it, yeah. and and we right. we know everything. Like there's nothing left to discover about this world. It's so often the viewpoint that we have, and so it can be really difficult when there's something on a huge scale that we just don't know about. Um, Mm-hmm. So what I see now with this new wave, I, I don't know what the numbers are like around you, but where I am, it is way worse than what it was in the spring. I mean, it's insane here yeah. right now. And yeah, um, and what I'm yeah. seeing, and it's like, you know, we know more than we did in the spring. We know that masks work. We know that the social distancing works. We know that this is about ventilation. Like, you know, so we need good mm-hmm. air movement. So why are we not addressing these? and acting accordingly so that we can keep our numbers down. And um, anyways, yeah. so, yeah, and, and learning more. Even just for a while, time. even just for a while, you know, like if we could right. just, like, say three months, you know, or whatever, but right. yeah, it's tricky. I mean, there's still people just totally against masks, you know, and fighting other people who ask them to put them on, you know. Right. So, Yeah. It's bad and I do want to be sensitive that, you know, there are people that have real issues around that. I mean, I, I know the trauma response, yeah. like there's some, there can be something with having a mask over your face yeah. or, you know, I have clients yeah. with uh, children who they just, they're so, they're sensory sensitive that they just freak out over that. So, you know, yeah. for sure, but the, the great majority of us, then we can mask up and be safe. And yeah. um, we have one more question here. Let me get you on here. Mm-hmm. Alicia, you there? Alicia. Hi, Jen. Hi, Jen. This is Alicia. Um, Hi, how are you? Good. How are you? Since I'm good. Good to listen to you today. Um, I have a question for you, and I just wanted to share really quickly, too, that um, one of the things that I've really experienced um, with COVID in my life. I haven't been sick yet, but I've had several friends and family members who have been ill. I just want to say that it's really highlighted relationships in my life that are important to me. And some relationships have dissolved and gone away. And it's really helped to bring healing to some of um, some relationships I had that where there was suffering or trauma or or not as much goodness as I would like. And I feel grateful for all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I've had the same experience. I think a lot of people are are speaking to that, too, that it's really changing relationships, our relations, Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happening is there's a transparency that's forced. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of transparency, like, uh, you know, that... um, 
I don't know if it's like hidden aspects of people are just like out there right now. Like the transparency is really there so that and we know we know that we've been moving towards that for a really long time, you know, that things will just be not hidden, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think COVID has kind of brought that forward a little bit, you know. Yeah, it's um, definitely fleshed things yeah. up. At least, sure. Yeah, given us a taste of that anyway. It certainly brought mm-hmm. some of that forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then we adjust we adjust in our relations. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then a more specific question that I have for you is that um, I'm wondering if you can share what you're doing with people on just kind of a general level when they're recovering from COVID. Mm. Well, yeah, and the the recovery is very unique for, for some people. We're seeing a lot of, you know, some neurological. It's going to be probably specific to a person's, uh, you know, what what's what's the complaint, you know, like mm-hmm. I have a couple of people who have tremendous hair loss about four, oh. six months out, they're losing like a lot of hair. And that's not an uncommon mm-hmm. thing when you have a really strong case of it. Mm-hmm. That can happen anytime you have a pretty strong health crisis. You, and I think it's related to the kidneys. Um, mm-hmm. So I tend to work with them in that area um, there are some people who have a lot more neurological, you know, they show up a lot more with neurological changes. There are other people that show up with complete changes in the landscape of their lungs and the way they respond respiratory-wise to anything mm-hmm. anymore, mm-hmm. you know, because the, that strong pneumonia from this literally changes the topography of the lung tissue. Like it's changed mm-hmm. forever, you know. Mm-hmm. And so learning your new baseline with that. and bringing certain plants in there and they're going to help strengthen the resiliency of whatever that new baseline is. Mm-hmm. You know. And then there's there's amputees. I mean, there's people who've lost fingers, toes, limbs, you know, from this um, as well. So it's, is there something I didn't mention that you see? No, that's, no, I was just really, I was curious. I have an uncle who's recovering right now and I feel like his, um, his illness has been really very focused on his lungs. Yeah. So um, then I'm happy uh, to say that he's in recovery now, <laughs> which is good because it was touch and go for a moment. And, but. He's, and he's home. That's good. Good. Yeah. So then things to build strong tissue. I mean, I always, I have to say, I love to go to Mullen because you can have Mullen mm. for a long time. I, I love, love Mullen. Mullen yeah. You know. And Mullen works yeah. more not just on the lungs but on the spine and helping us to stand up strong again after some intensity like that, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. bring the spirit back from uh, a, a very intense uh, crisis, like a health crisis mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even chest rubs, you know, mm-hmm. working from yeah. the skin in, like having having um, – Something like, um, well, I love rosemary oil on the chest, so I make an infused mm-hmm. olive oil and rub that on the chest after mm-hmm. showers, and that could be something that he could do for a while, mm-hmm. you know, like make it part of part of his world, you know, a few times mm-hmm. a week, a really good chest rub, have a, another family member rub his back, and it just mm-hmm. be part of the healing healing process of, you know, seeing where, mm-hmm. how his lungs will recover, because it takes months, it takes many, many months. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the baseline has changed, so we have to adjust ourselves to where that is. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm not like I was before. I'm different, you know. Mm-hmm. People are different. I have a couple coworkers that almost died, and they were, they're like, I'm different. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. And then we talk a little deeper about what that means for them, you know, like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and, the, and the changes they're seeing in their body, they're adjusting to them, but they're also seeing really positive changes in their life. You know, coming that close mm-hmm. to death. So, yeah. Thank, Thank you, Jen. Good question. Thanks, Alicia. Jen, do you have anything else you'd like to say to um, wrap things up? No, that was or good. Any other little? Feels... Mm, no, I feel good. Okay. I mean, well, thank you. Know. you. People can go through my website if they have questions or whatever. They can ask me my email and ask me questions. That's, I'm open to questions always. 
you know, if it comes up after this. <laughs> right. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you again for offering, um, taking this time out and offering your wisdom. It's great to have uh, you there, again, working both worlds. I think it's such a beautiful uh, and difficult place to be. So um, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you to everyone else who has joined us today um, or listening later. And as Jen said, her, please visit her website, eldermoonschool.net, and that is also where you can find information for her free consults for COVID as well as the plant microdosing. And we would like to invite you to join us this Sunday for our regular teleseminar series, Being a Nature uh, Evolutionary, where we delve deeply into what it means to be a nature evolutionary through dynamic explorations into consciousness raising that is at the core of one's vision of a world where people and nature are co-creative partners and all life has the right to thrive. This month's teleseminar will be with Zigola Piopo from Dam and Her about songs of nature, expressions of co-creative partnership. And Zigola is another just amazing person who brings such beauty into this world. I'm sure she will touch your heart. So please join us at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can find that information as well as today's recording and all of our other recordings on our teleseminar site on our website, natureevolutionaries.com. And you'll also be able to find this recording and our others on Spotify and Apple iTunes. And while you are visiting our website, of course, I ask you to please press that donate button. We are in the middle of our annual fundraising drive. And thank you to all of you who have been so generous and have gifted us. Everyone who donates this month is entered into a raffle to uh, win this gorgeous, carefully curated ceremonial collection from around the world. And of course, your donations help us to continue to do our work of creating educational opportunities and listening to and building relationships with the living earth. And while on our website, if you're looking for something to warm the heart, you can check out our spoken story series, which is in our blog. So I know that we are living during a unique time, and may you find comfort in the rest and the inward pool of winter. And until next time, may peace be with you. Have a great day.